everyone in Serial Killer Country. My name is Brandy Ransom. And my name is Brian Twinner. And this is When Killers Get Caught, a podcast about the deep dives into true crime. If you're new here, When Killers Get Caught is a three-part podcast where we discuss true crime stories that resonated with us this week. Then we'll lead you down the path of a well-known or lesser-known killer and discuss their childhood lives, methodology, and of course, how they got caught. Then Brian will finish things off with a paranormal palette cleanser. And before we start this week, just want to let everybody know, we still have a Patreon, and we now have well over 20 bonus episodes of Conspiracy Crypt. That is totally something you get. There's also access to monthly AMAs if you want to talk to us. We'll do, we'll do a phone call with you, Brian and I. Uh, we'll figure it out what works best for you. Uh, we actually give discount codes to our merch through Patreon, so those are all possible things. And if you just want to take a look at our merch www.whenkillersgetcaught.shop is where you can find it. Yeah, you know what? I've been actually thinking about adding like something else to the Patreon. Maybe like a... a I was too! Maybe like a movie night or something. We could do that. Like, Oh, that could be a lot of fun. Because I have that Shudder account. And like I watch it. Like, you do? Because I have a... I made my own because your other one broke. Did it? I'm working on my app. Yeah. Really? It's, no, it still works for me. But yeah, um... Can, give me that code so I can cancel mine and not have to be paying double a month. I got you. I got you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I had a Shutter app, and I'm like, you know what? We can freaking watch movies, scary movies. Like, once. oh, I've been watching so many movies on Shutter. I love it. There's a one I really watched uh, called We Go On that was incredible. I was expecting it to be like kind of making fun of the supernatural, and what I got was somebody who was really like facing like death in a different way and then experiencing what it was like to be haunted in a totally different way that movies don't normally do hmm. so that would be one i would totally watch again with anybody i'd check it out but we'll figure that out and we'll see if we add it to the patreon yeah now this week in true crime i decided to find something that was a little more light and fun because this week's killers couple is Pretty intense. So, I have a question for you, Brian. Mm-hmm. How far would you go for mayonnaise? Uh, like, how many feet to my fridge? That's, that's like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> maybe 10 feet and that's about it. Maybe, maybe. Do you think you would murder somebody over mayonnaise? Fuck no. I mean, <laughs> hell no. <laughs> This happened in 2020, but the man in trouble just got uh, sentenced to life in prison. So I'll explain it all to you. So Christopher Erlbacher, who is now 29 years old, used his truck to run over Caleb Solberg outside of a cafe in a small town of Pekiska, uh, Des Moines on December 17, 2020. Uh, originally, he drove away and then he came back. And hit him two more times. So the two had been out drinking at this bar with another person earlier in the night uh, in the city of Moorhead. But things went a little weird when Earl Bacher took mayo and spread it over his friend's food, which made Solberg really upset and they got into a fight. So I'm guessing, because I have friends in my life who are mayo haters. Yeah, that's me. And so this is... (laughs) Right, okay, so this is if someone kind of, I don't know, like as a joke or something, put mayo on your sandwich and made you so angry you swung on them. 
Yeah, I probably would be upset, and I'd be like, yo, you gotta buy me a new sandwich, because I'm not eating this shit. <laughs> well, so, they get into that fight at the bar, and then uh, Solberg's like, screw you, I'm leaving. So, he starts walking to the cafe, and Erlbacher, the one who started everything, by the way, calls Solberg's half-brother, Craig, and it's just like, you better deal with your brother, I'm gonna set his house on fire, and I'm gonna shoot him. Uh, so they go to another, he went to another, like, uh, bar called Dave's Old Home, mm. and they got into, like, uh, that's the cafe slash, like, lounge place, and that's when, I guess, he kind of, like, coaxed him outside for another fight, mm-hmm. and then got in his car, and... Just ran him over, huh? Well, actually, before that happened, he hit his car... Into uh, Craig Pryor's. That was the brother-in-law who had come to help. Sorry, the brother, not brother-in-law. Right, so he hit the brother's car and then, you know, invited the two of them for a fight. Um, Then he hit Solberg when Solberg came out. Like, what the hell? You just hurt my brother. Or, I mean, he just hit his car, but still, that's real aggro. Yeah. And now that Solberg was outside, he hit him with the, the truck. But that didn't kill him. It was the other two hits. He might have survived had he not come back and hit him again. Mm. He he just had to he had to back over him and make sure. Right. That... And so at that point he would have just been arrested for attempted murder. Mm-hmm. But the essentially the judge was like, rather than just leave, you went down the street, turned around, came back, hit him multiple times to make sure you had completed the job. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, he was convicted after a bench trial in December of 2021, and he was sentenced to life in prison as of February 3rd. Oh. All because of a prank that you started, and you couldn't let it go. No. Oh my god, that's terrible. Wild, though. I was like, Mayo, I have lots of people in my life who hate condiments. I'm just like, if someone, yeah, if someone just spread mayo over my, oh, oh first of all, I'd gag like that. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then I'd be like, yo, Bobby, you do sandwich, like, or I'll eat your food, whatever you have. God. Also, for folks hoping for a visual podcast episode, I'm having a bad week uh, because a pet is dying and. I am not in a place to get pretty today, so it's only audio this week. <laughs> but what's your story? Okay. God damn it, Brittany. What? You don't think the Mayo murders are funny? Actually, you know what? I might make a TikTok and call it the Mayo murders. Oh my god. No, it's funny. It's <laughs> <laughs> nothing. Anyway. So, okay. I, I, I couldn't pick this week, so I have like two different stories, Okay. No, you can't do that. I got two different. <laughs> they're, no, they're both short. They're pick both short. one. Okay. Well, they're both from Pennsylvania, and I love weird Pennsylvania news. And they're they're both they both involve animals. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the first one, I'm just gonna it's it's gonna be quick. So maybe I just do the one because I like it. Let's see. Let's see. So, some some woman in Pennsylvania. Um, she found some type of mystery animal. Um, this is in Pittsburgh. And I guess 
what had happened was is that you know goodness gracious um sorry <laughs> she she found this like this animal like wandering around or something like that and like she so she brings it in you know blah 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 washes it up and and you know and takes care of it and she like she calls the animal shelter and you know and people were just like and the people would come and they come you know pick it up and they're like what kind of animal is this and she's like i think it's a dog um <laughs> i saw this one did you nobody knows what it is right yeah it's it's uh, it looks like it has kind of like the the face of a dog but like that body it just looks like i don't know maybe it's a shaved dog or something i don't know the news story was that someone found the animal and nobody knows what it is yeah nobody knows what it is it's a mystery animal um that's funny yeah, it, it like it like it looks like it might be of the canine genus, but it doesn't look like a dog. It doesn't look like a dog. Like, did you see the picture of it? In passing. Okay, it looks. It kind of looks like a coyote a little bit, and like. It's weird because I guess when she she said when she found it, it was like all whimpering and stuff. It looked all sad and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you know, I forget who, which animal it is, like which canine it is. I think it's coyotes. They like, they like to trick people. Okay. Do they? I didn't know that. Is they, they like to trick, I think it's coyotes. I like to trick people and so they can like get closer to them and then and it, rip out their throats and it's like they attack their small dogs if they have dogs around they attack those yeah. and it's just i forget who i think i think it was Tara's dad who told me that i think it was i talked to him about it and then yeah it was and i mean that sounds like a reasonable survival instinct is it though it just sounds like pretend an... pretend that you're injured so that uh, an animal thinks you're weak and then wing them. <laughs> you you wink them. Sounds that sounds pretty smart actually. Uh, and we did just spend two weeks talking about Bundy pretending to be injured to get people to come over and help him. Mm, this is true. Oh, so I just read that it, it, it escaped. It escaped, what? it escaped from the rescue facility. How? I don't know. It said it mysterious, like the mysterious, this mystery animal pulls off elaborate escape from Pennsylvania rescue facility. Wow, I didn't realize this happened in Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It happened. Uh, I think. It, well, the news I got was from Pittsburgh. I think, but it's what a good little guy. A good little guy. Yes. Go be free, baby. So they started collecting DNA from him, but like they couldn't. Right, that was what I remember. They couldn't. There was no DNA match for something we knew what it was. Yeah, and you know, I guess they go to check on him one day, and he's just gone. That's nice. I like that. I don't <laughs> because because they were kind of like calling this like a cryptid now. It's like a new cryptid mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania. <laughs> That's wonderful. You should be so happy. That's your thing. I know. That's why I was talk. I wanted to talk about it because I was like, "Yo, what if we have our new, a new little coyote cryptid now?" Listen, this is now our New Jersey Devil Dog thing. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! I love it. 
Only this one doesn't eat people. It just wants to be left alone. It, yeah, like every other animal, I'm assuming. Or cryptid. But yeah, okay. Well, that's what I got. I like that. I like this one. I could just... I like that one. I'll stick with this one. But, but oh, oh, also, I guess, news alert. If you're in Danville, there might be, like, a couple monkeys, like, loose in the area that may have, like, herpes. I think it's herpes, too. Oh, no. Yeah. Don't touch the monkeys in Danville. And I was just up there the other day, and I heard about this the other day. And I was like, I was just up there. Because there was a car, there was, a, I guess, a, a truck accident, and they were hauling the monkeys, and it just went off the road, and, um, Yeah. Monkeys were killed, and then some monkeys got away. So there, are, oh, fine. yeah, there, there are monkeys in the woods in the north. So just be be careful. <laughs> Northern Pennsylvania. Yep. I think they might freeze to death. It's been so long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's what they're thinking too. So here's the thing. I had planned out uh, Killer Couples a little while ago, and I completely forgot when February started. So <laughs> that's why we're starting in the second week of February. But regardless, uh, this week's episode is about one of the worst duos we've ever discussed. And they were from the UK. They raped, tortured, and killed at least 12 young women over the course of 20 years uh, in Gloucester. England. Well, to be fair, Fred started in 1967, but his wife didn't start until 1973. Outside of the Morris murders, they're probably the most infamous couple in UK history. And I talked about the wife of this duo when I talked about the Morris murders with Myra Hinckley, Hinckley because Rosemary West and Myra were in the same hospital. And according to a documentary in 2020, apparently... The two had a relationship. They were seen as like prison royalty. And now they actively hate each other and have the relationships over. That's according to the documentary. Hmm. But for the week of stomach, I totally understand if this is too much for anyone listening. Because this is very similar to the Moore's Murders episode. It's strange that those two women would end up in the same prison because they did the same thing to young people. But we're going to start with the older of our killers and really the one who started things, uh, Fred West. So Frederick Walter Stephen West was born September 29th, 1941 in Hertfordshire Parish of Much Markle, which is for my non-UK listeners about two and a half hours west of London because most of us in the States don't know anything other than London. At the time, Much Markle only had about 700 people living in it. And that was about two years before Fred was born. Um, this time period is really important because does anybody remember what happened in 1939? No. Dates, World War. Dates. I, I, I suck with dates. <laughs> That's okay. World War II, which greatly affected all of England. It started in 1939 and went to 1945. So he was born in the middle of this conflict. In fact, the most exciting thing that happened before the world learned of Fred West in Much Markle 
was a landslide that happened in 1575. Very small town. It's a beautiful, apparently a beautiful place to go to. These like huge giant green pastures, core fields, orchards full of apples and pear trees, hops fields for making beer. Uh, nice place to go live if you weren't there when Fred West was there. Now his parents, Walter, Stephen, and Daisy Hannah met in 1939, just before the Great Second War started. Walter had left school at 11 to work on his family's farm, which he'd been doing for decades. He was recently widowed and just attending a fair, uh, the Markle Fair, to raise his spirits when he met Daisy. She was 16 and he was 25. They had a nice day at the fair, courted for a bit, and then got married January 27, 1940. Daisy got pregnant pretty fast, but she lost the first baby, Violet, in 1940. Fred was their second child and the first to live to term, and both of them were very excited. This baby was like their shining joy. Uh, Daisy was known to like not let him sleep in his crib, and she would bring, as she called him, Freddie, back into their bed to sleep with the parents. Now, uh, quite shockingly, even with how bad things were financially during and after World War II in the UK, uh, Walter and Daisy went on to have no. six more children. Five survived, so it'd be a total of Fred, John, Daisy, Douglas, Katie, and Gwen. Oh, okay. Well. Now, when the farm, when they were still running the farm, they were keeping animals, uh, but eventually they had to sell all of that just to survive because there were a lot of just, everything was more expensive during the war, kind of like what we're going through right now in the US. Uh, one of the biggest issues in piecing together Fred's history is that once he got caught, he began telling people in astonishing detail that he had been abused and assaulted and harmed. And his family was like, no, no, that didn't happen. And it like, he went real into detail about some real horrible stuff. So I'll start by telling you the truth as we know it, and then I'll let you in on okay. the world from Fred's eyes. One thing we know is that the family was super close. Dad was strict. Mom was very overprotective to the tune of like, nobody can mm -hmm. date until they're 21. Like that kind of thing. Which is weird because she got married and dated when she was 16, but whatever, you know. I guess it's Let's like say. a, I don't, don't follow my footsteps kind of thing, I guess. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, in 1946, the family moved into pretty much their forever home called Moorcourt Cottage on Moorcourt Farm. The farm was owned by Walter's boss, Frank Brooks, and Walter's job was milking the animals in the downtime, helping with the harvest in the fall. Even though it was called a cottage, it was just a regular house, and it wasn't a really big one because they were a family of eight with only three bedrooms. There was no indoor plumbing. The family went in a bucket, and that bucket was dumped in a sewage pit every morning. They took baths in a big tin basin once a week. Uh, rats were a constant issue, and frequently, Mom Daisy would grab Dad's shotgun and shoot them when she saw them in the field. This was something the children kind of remembered almost fondly. Mom shooting the rats. <laughs> Fred's easily his mother's favorite. As I said, he was her rainbow baby. He was untouchable. If he got in a fight with his sibling, she took his side. Even in front of her husband, Daisy favored Fred. And because of his constant spoiling, Fred was really introverted, shy, and, well, kind of boring, which didn't help him in school. He was also the dirty kid. You know what kid I'm talking about. That kid at school who's always kind of dirty. 
Yeah. And you wonder, <clears throat> is he being taken care of? Yeah, I, I know the kid. But here's the thing. Daisy bought him the nicest clothes out of all the other kids, but he always came home soiled. <laughs> and I'm sure she was just like, what are you doing at school? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, Fred was a terrible student, and he got bad scores all the time. So people made fun of him for being stupid. They made fun of him for being dirty. His school believed in spanking kids. So at eight years old, when he would get bad grades, he would get caned. Then he would go home and tell his mom. And in the beginning, Daisy would go down to the school and she would get into arguments with the teachers about his scores and the punishment. And so it became a thing where like Daisy would show up in these like big, like, flower dresses and she would like yell at the teachers and that did not at all help the bullying uh they kids saw him as like a mama's boy they made fun of him for that so one of the reasons why he was getting real dirty is because he's getting into a lot of fights Mm -hmm. and then on top of that daisy kind of well she stopped going down to the school in fact she kind of began to resent the fact that fred just wasn't very bright now outside of school the kids were expected to work on the farm after school every weekend. This was how they kind of earned their pocket change. Household chores did not give them any money. Different times of year, they did different things. Summer was picking fruit. Harvest was the harvest, but also rabbit hunting season. Because apparently the rabbits were outrageous in the entire town. So this became like a town thing. And pretty much they all went out, killed a bunch of rabbits, and then they shared the meat across the community. Winter allowed for more fun for the kids, sledding, playing in the snow. Spring, of course, was planting time. Fred really only had his siblings for friends, and the cottage was actually kind of on the edge of town, so he wasn't, like, around a lot of kids that, like, you know, played outside like they used to do. (laughs) They were sort of isolated from the rest of the village. Now, here's where the two stories just forked in dramatic ways. Fred says that his doting mother was his first sexual experience. Incest was common in the West home. Fred said uh, the same thing that happened when he was a kid is what he did in his own home. He said that Daisy took the boys and Walter took the girls. This, of course, has not been corroborated by anyone in the family, but a lot of people in town thought that Daisy was really close to her son. Fred also told the police when he got caught later on in his 40s that his dad was very into bestiality. Oh, wow. Damn. Now, outside of that, Fred said that his experiences with sex were very typical of the time. Um, It happened in the fields around Moorport Cottage. He called them the fumbling sex games, which involved... This is so wild because I've never heard of this in my life. Just a heads up. You know how we talk about sex as a roll in the hay? Mm Mm-hmm. These kids were actually doing that. Rolling in the They hay? were diving into the hay pile and touching anything and everything. Oh my god. Ew. He said he never Wait, he, he said he never bothered to learn the age or the identity of the girls who were in the hay pile with him, but that it was exciting. That doesn't sound fun at all. Hay is like doesn't is hay's not scratchy. Yeah, hay's not fun to play in. <laughs> That's how I feel, but maybe not here. Mm-hmm. Either way. A couple years later, Fred decides he's going to leave school. He didn't even take his final exams. Uh, In the UK, they have, like, primary school, secondary school, university. 
Um, secondary doesn't quite line up with like high school for us, but generally it's kind of where you make a decision. Am I going to go to college? Am I going to go to trade school? And then if you're going to go to trade school, you would go to a special school that helps you with that. We used to have that in the U.S. Now we don't. Um, which allowed kids to learn trades and stuff. And then if you thought you were heading towards more of a university experience, you would go to like official secondary school versus trade school. Regardless, he didn't even really finish primary school. He didn't even take his final exams at the end of what we would call like middle school. Hmm. Just like uh, his dad, Fred could barely write or read. The only thing he was exceptionally good at was art. And he could draw these like photorealistic things just by looking at them. He had actually taken a woodshop class on a whim right before he left school, and he learned that he was really good at it. He'd make stools and benches and take them to his mom for her approval, and she thought they were nice. But once he quit school, his mom was like, you didn't learn how to make anything out of that bench, and we're poor. You need a job, Fred. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> Yeah, I gotta tell you, British school system, way cooler than ours. I believe it. Honestly, every country is way better than ours. It uh, sucks so much. This is very true. Mm -mm. Like, I, I think it's so smart that they, like, start narrowing the kids' interests as they get older. Because mm -hmm. for us, they just, it's the whole time it's like a broad liberal arts program and then it's just like all right make your mind now you're 18 and i'm like well if if you'd been giving me time to look into this stuff i could have learned maybe i don't maybe i want to be a doctor but i don't really want to be a doctor because you know i got to take some extra science classes and i'm like wow this sucks uh but regardless either way fred has to go to work so he joined his dad on the more court farm with their landlord it's pretty crabby work and uh, they pretty much gave Fred the crappiest jobs that nobody wanted to do. It was perfect for the grown-ups who were like, huh, we don't want to clean the stalls for the horses. You do that. Fred's at the highlight of his day at Bridges Farm, which is one of the other farms that he worked at with the men, mm -hmm. was that a lot of young local girls walked by and he would just stand there and watch them on the job of school. Oh, God. Yeah. Now, 1957 was Fred was 16. His younger brother, John, 15, quit school, joins him on the farm working, which is the same year where Walter was trying to fix a tractor and it fell on him. It actually permanently ruptured one of uh, dad's lungs. He probably would have died had his sons not been there and picked it up enough. And we're talking like maybe a few inches for him to get out from under it. Uh Walter is now severely limited in what he can do. He's still working, but he also spends a lot of time at home just resting. He's not as strict with the boys. So they now spend their weekends in the nearby town of Ledbury, which has a movie theater and coffee shops. There was this place called the Ledbury Youth Club. It wasn't much to look at. It was really run down, had busted windows. Kids played loud music, and they constantly got reported the thing was, they weren't even doing drugs. They were just drinking coffee and soda and playing pool. Were, were the worst of them. No, they were inside of a building. Oh, huh. It was an old building, but it was kind of run down. But, like, as far as places where teenagers hang out, 
they weren't getting into trouble. So it's better than nothing. Mm -hmm. True, true. Well, at 16, while going to the club, Fred starts dressing better. He would shave and he would comb his hair and wear clean clothes. And he became like one of the better looking young boys at the club. Which should have helped him with the whole girl thing, but it didn't because he was very rude and very crude. He would just go up to a girl, grab her by the arm, and drag her over to the shadows. He didn't care if she liked him or if she had a boyfriend. In fact, he liked it better when she had a boyfriend because he wanted to steal her. Which, of course, started fights, and John would step in and defend his brother. Now, during this time, you know, Fred's working, and he's making a man's wage. So... The little, he gave a little bit to his family, but he starts saving up for a motorcycle. His mother hated the idea. Mm-hmm. So she made him promise, if you have a crash at all, you have to sell it. He agrees. And on his 17th birthday, he gets his motorcycle. He used it to show off immediately. He'd park it outside the club and walk in. On November 28th, 1968, while riding home, What do you think happens? He had a crash. You damn right. He collided with a girl who was on a bicycle and was heading home. The road was completely dark and there were a lot of potholes. So maybe it wasn't his fault. They both went flying off their vehicles. A day laborer from Bridges Farm actually left to go home and found both the teens lying in the dark. The girl had scrapes and he was able to kind of like, wake her up and be like, hey, y'all right? Fred is bleeding profusely out cold. They have to get an ambulance. The ambulance assesses him and they go, we can't handle him at the local small hospital. They need to go, they need to send him to Hereford. So one of uh, Fred's friends shows up in the morning at Moorpark Cottage with like his work boots and his like broken helmet and gives them to his family. And they're like, yeah, He's in the big city hospital. Oh, my God. Daisy goes to the hospital in tears. And actually, Walter goes over to the girl's family to apologize for Fred. Because mm. I think Walter was like, this was probably your fault. Let me go say something to their parents. Now, Fred was unconscious for a week. He described this experience as coming back from the dead. On top of hitting his head, he was covered in bruises and cuts, broken bones, He told people for the rest of his life there was a metal plate in his head. One of his arms never healed properly. His nose had gotten broken. And one of his legs needed a a metal brace that even after the metal cast came off, he walked with a limp. Damn. Now, while he's recovering, we're talking here like months, he's got to stay in the house. And it's driving him crazy having Daisy just dote over him the entire time. So as soon as he is safe to get out, he's like, I got to leave. I got to move away. That would be when he meets his wife or his future wife, Catherine Renna Bernadette Costello. Renna was from Scotland in 16 in 1960. Renna was also a bit of a bad girl and she was often in trouble with the law. She'd been getting arrested since she was 11 years old. uh, And in 1960, Uh, She moved to live with her family in England because her family in Scotland hoped that maybe a change of scenery would help. Uh, Fred, seeing her out and about, tried to woo her with lies 
about how bad boy, how bad of a boy he was. But truly what bonded this couple was that she found Fred's crude sexual interest to be a sign of affection. She hadn't had a lot of affection in her life. That's just, that just sounds weird. What? I mean, right. So what normally turned the other girls off, like him making like nasty little sex jokes. Yeah. She wasn't bothered by that. She was like, wow, he likes me. Oh, wow. He's so charming. Oh my God. The two started having sex and things got real intense to the point where she tattooed Fred's name on her uh, after months of her family in England <laughs> being like, can you not? They were like, you know what? Go back to Scotland, Rena. So she had to move back home. <laughs> Get your head together. Right. Uh, <laughs> during this time, Fred started showing interest in the younger girls in the city. And then one night when he was at the club, he was on the outdoor like step scaffolding thing. He grabbed the wrong girl because she turned around and popped him. He lost his balance and fell 20 feet to the ground. Damn. Sustaining his second major head injury in under two years. How are you not dead, buddy? Or at least in the hospital. Well, he came out of this coma in just 24 hours. But he came out of it angry and irritable. And he would lash out very quickly. And for the first time, people were like, does he have some kind of brain damage? Yes. Yes, he does. Fred also, like, <laughs> after this, just started doing some outright illegal stuff. And he went to court for stealing in April of 1961 for stealing a gold watch strap and two cigarette cases with another boy. Then in June of 61, now mind you, I'm going to say this, Rena left, like, Christmas, like, right before, like, right before Christmas in, uh, 60. Okay. Hmm. They pull Fred in front of the court. This time, for a much worse reason. Having sex with a 13-year-old girl. And it had been going on for about six months. Oh, my God. Wait, she left in... <laughs> Wait a second. So she left and he started having sex with a 13-year-old I was about to say, this math ain't math. And... <laughs> as soon as she left. Oh, God. Well, the, the other issue... Uh, now, this, this trial goes absolutely crazy. First, the issue is that the girl... Is Fred's sister, what? Kitty West, oh mm -hmm. his younger sister. Also, Fred yelled at the constable during his trial, and he was completely nonchalant about it. In fact, um, Fred's mom's super upset because it's his sister. Police, the school, social workers get involved. And when they interview Fred, he's like, I've been doing this for years. And then he legit goes, doesn't everybody do this? No. He didn't seem to care at all as they arrest him for carnal knowledge of a child. No, sir. Not everybody does this. <clears throat> a small, tiny minority does this. And we don't, mm -hmm. we don't accept that. Well, <laughs> we have the issue that now he has this charge against him. Because when they first pull him in front of court, it's just, uh, you know, figuring things out, asking questions. This time, though, they're like, oh, so they charge him with carnal knowledge of a child. He's going to get fined bare minimum, but he's probably going to do worse. And then Daisy's like, you can't stay with us anymore. And this was the moment where Fred felt like his family abandoned him because nobody else would talk to him. 
Uh, Kitty ended up having an abortion. They set an official trial for November of 1961. Fred quit the farm and goes to work in construction, got caught and fined for stealing there. He was getting into constant trouble with women in town. Uh, another girl claimed that Fred raped her, but she wished to be nameless. Mm. November 9th, 1961, just after he turns 20 years old, his trial begins. Katie refuses to testify against him. But strangely enough, Daisy agrees to be his defense witness. She discussed with the defense attorney the multiple head injuries. And the court agrees. And with no evidence from Kitty, they set him he moves into his aunt and uncle's house at there's so many people in this story named Daisy. I'm just letting you know. <clears throat> Rose's mom is named Daisy. Fred's mom's named Daisy. His aunt and uncle live at Daisy Cottage. It, Apparently Daisy, real popular name in the sixties. Everybody's in the UK. everybody and everything is Daisy. Got it. Everybody was Daisy. Uh after about a year of him kind of being, I guess like what do you call that? I don't know. I wouldn't say isolated, but ousted from his family. They invite him back to Moorcourt Cottage in the summer of 1962. And that same summer, his old girlfriend, Rena Costello, moves back to town. They ran into each other at her job at a cafe in Ledbury. Rena had gone back to her old life of crime, and while she was gone, she had gotten convicted of attempted burglary at 16 and served 17 months in the prison. Oh Kid prison. Regardless, she was released in May of 1962, which was when... She had an affair with an Asian man who was a bus driver, got pregnant, and when she realized he wasn't going to stay with her, she came back to England. Fred wanted her back, but he didn't really want her mixed-race baby. So he was like, why don't you let me abort him? Abort this baby so we can save money. And they actually brought, like, another kid who got freaked out and, like, told the police. And the police arrived before he could do anything. Okay, great. In my opinion, before he could probably murder her uh, accidentally. Hmm. Instead, they got married. Uh, they pretty much waited long <laughs> enough for Fred to turn 21, which was the age of majority uh, in the UK. And they got married in secret, November 17, 1962. Brenna wore blue. Her hair was bleached white. Fred wore a suit jacket that was too big for him. And their only guest was younger brother John to be there with him. Same day Daisy found out, because John can't keep a secret. Mm. She wasn't really excited about it, but Walter was like, he's grown, leave him alone. And and so she was like, fine, y'all two can stay at the cottage for a few nights after the wedding. It was still super packed, though, so they, kind of, they packed up their stuff after a couple nights. Moved into a small flat in the city of Coatbridge. And I hope by now, with all of us watching international TV, we know that a flat is an apartment. <laughs> this marriage not so good uh fred was the same as they were when he when they were teens he wanted sex at random times it was super rough bang 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 he's done uh rena told friends that even though they were married it felt like she was being raped when she was like when she was a teen prostitute in scotland God. and homeless yeah fred enjoyed making her cry he would like pinch her really hard to hear her scream he wanted to tie her up, but she was like, absolutely not. Years later, he bragged about saying that he was the one who got her working as a prostitute again. And that she would leave a girl in his bed for him while she was out working. And that he made lots and lots of money being her pimp. 
which was really weird because apparently he liked that she did it, but he got jealous and angry that she was sleeping with other men and he punished her. Hmm. Yeah, it's no surprise he was abusive. Yeah. He hit her at the slightest annoyance. Now, March 22nd, 1963, Mar- uh, Rena has her baby girl. No one knew about this other than uh, Fred. So people were very surprised to see this baby with very obvious Asian features. Hmm. Rena was worried about the West family. So she told them that she miscarried and that had been an Asian child in the hospital in need of a home. And they adopted her and they named her Charmaine Carol Mary. Uh, Mary was Rena's mother's name. Just like that. What are the days? Yeah. Huh? Just like that, huh? Yeah, we just adopted a new baby. Bing! Uh, the letter to Daisy was probably Fred's idea because he was embarrassed that she had given birth to another man's child. Fred did not like this baby, and the two actually separated after they, she gave birth. But by Christmas, 63, they were back together, visiting Moorcourt Cottage. Uh, Fred was bragging about how much money he was making. He wore silk shirts, talked himself up that he was pretty much a drug dealer and a pimp. The reality was that they had moved to Glasgow, Scotland to try and make the relationship work. And Fred worked for Mr. Whippy Ice Cream. And he drove an ice cream truck in the good weather. And then he'd sell cigarettes and drinks and chips when it got cold. So that is what he was doing. He was not a big time pimp or drug dealer like he pretended. Oh, he's an ice cream man. He was an ice cream man. Regardless, they go back to Glasgow after Christmas. And uh, in 1964, Rena gets pregnant and has another baby. This baby was named Anna Marie. Fred was obsessed with this child who looked exactly like him, and he treated Charmaine like she was garbage. The family ended up moving to McClellan Street near Kinning Park, and Fred was said to have a lot of trysts with women in Glasgow, and many years later, he straight up told people, I don't know how many of my kids are in Scotland. Damn. Rena learned about this and decided since he was being awful, she could be terrible too. Mm-hmm. So she started dating another guy. Fred caught her with this guy. His name was John McLaughlin. And even though he punched her, like when he pulled her away from John, this did not stop. And in fact, John tattooed her name on his wrist, took a tattoo gun, crossed Fred's name out, and wrote his own. Mm-hmm. Now, Fred internalized this rage. And I think this is really interesting. So remember that accident where he ran directly into a girl when he was a child? Right. Well, 1965, he runs straight into a three-year-old. In his van, his work van. Apparently, at the time, accidents with kids in vans were very high. I think you remember that, like, in the 90s in the States... Because of SUVs and how high they were, people kept rolling over their kids. Mm -hmm. So that's why they put all those cameras on there or the sounds that when you were close to something, it went beep, 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 beep. So I guess they're making the comparison like what happened here in the States in the 90s. That was happening in the 60s. Like, people can't see because these bumpers are so high. It was an accident. It gets cleared by the police. But the locals are like, you killed a kid. So they move back to March Markle. And back in with his parents. Now there are 11 adults and five kids in the house because some of his siblings had gotten married and had kids too. Oh my God. 
they like Fred had no money, so Renna actually traveled back to Scotland for work while Fred tried to get a job in England. Their relationship just got worse. Back in Scotland, Renna and John get closer, and at one point, Renna came back to Much Markle and tried to take her kids back with her, but Fred's wouldn't al- Fred wouldn't allow it. Uh, he even punched McLaughlin, but, like, sorry, correction. Like, this was a fight that happened in front of the house, right? Mm-hmm. Fred is holding on to Charmaine, like, vice grip in his arm. McLaughlin punches him, but he still won't let go. And he straight up tells Renna, if you come back here, I'm going to kill you. Damn. Sometime while in Much Marco, he meets a girl named Anna McBell. And pretty much, I'm going to be really honest, he used Anna for sex and to watch his kids. <laughs> for Anna, she thought she was in love. She wrote her family these, like, long letters. And interestingly enough, uh, after Fred was caught, he said that Anna was his first and only love. But he sure didn't treat her very well. Like, pretty, like, uh, they lived in, okay, this is really, so the UK word for this is a caravan or caravan town. It's kind of the equivalent of, like, an RV town or, like, a, yeah, I would say more like RV camp. Um, versus a trailer park because the cars, things can move regardless. Okay. Kind of like a trailer park slash RV camp. Regardless though, that's where Fred's living in this caravan community. And Anna's 16 and pretty much trying to take care of Fred's two kids. It's not the best situation. In 1966, Renna comes back for her children. She had asked people to come with her, but everybody was busy. She picked up her kids from Anna, went to a different caravan park to get away from him. And, well, this is the moment when Renna realized that one of her friends, Anna, was dating her husband. Uh, uh. Yeah, when she went to, to Fred's place and saw Anna staying there. Like I said, Anna's 16. Uh, Renna's a little older. But I, I guess they knew each other. Regardless, uh, Renna gets kind of angry. And she steals some of Anna's things in spite and left and went back to Scotland where the police arrested her in November of 1966. And she was convicted November 29th, 1966 and given probation because she pretty much like begged the court, please don't leave my children with Fred West. I don't know what he's going to do to them. And pretty much he's effectively homeless. Mm-hmm. So they agree to allow her to not to essentially like hold her sentence. She just gets probation. Honestly, she only stole a couple of things. Like, why are you going to put this lady in jail? (laughs) Spring of 1967, Anna's pregnant. She's super happy. She tells her mom, we're going to get married. We moved into a nice house. All lies. Anna was last seen alive July of 1967. She went missing from a caravan camp called the Timberlands, where they've been living. Fred denied killing her until the day he died. What he did, however, admit was that he dismembered her and buried her in Fingerpost Field in Kempley near the village of Much Markle. Her remains, yep. He says she just died and he chopped her up because it was easier to bury a body when it's chopped up. That doesn't, that, mm, sir, that is how the kids say, uh, sus. Um. Her remains were found on June 7th, 1994. This is well after the West get caught and people start naming dump sites. She was eight months pregnant when she died. Mm -hmm. 
Rena, unaware of this, moves back to England into a different caravan camp at the end of 1967. And somehow Fred weasels his way back into her life and they start, they live together all through 1968. It worked because Fred was a day laborer and it was real hard work. I mean, pretty much when you're a day laborer, you're just showing up at a construction site and they're like, do this, do this, do this. Mm -hmm. Uh, he would be at work all day. He'd come home, sleep, wake up, go to work. So he, there was no time to be cruel to Rena. Uh, though sometimes he would leave for work early and he would spend time in Gloucester and just sit and like drink coffee at a cafe. But you know, that's not the worst thing that could happen. Hmm. Except for the fact that the cafe is where he met 15 year old Mary Bastel, who went missing January 6th of 1968 last seen waiting at a bus stop on Bristol Road at 7.15 p.m. This was a major case. Scotland Yard was called in. Scotland Yard, big-time police for Americans listening. Uh, or anybody not who doesn't understand the UK. But, I mean, Scotland Yard's a big deal. Uh, the problem was, it's January, and January is a time of bad weather. Mm -hmm. It pretty much proved to be a major deterrent in their search for her. Even though the police recognized that Fred was there and he was tied to raping a teen girl, they had no evidence linking the two of them other than he talked to her sometimes at the cafe. Her body has never been found, but it is assumed that Fred West killed her. Mm, he's, he had something to do with it, definitely. Mm -hmm. A few weeks later, on February 6, 1968, Daisy West dies at 44 years old after a surgery. The family attends this funeral, and afterward, Fred spirals. He starts stealing, gets arrested for taking a blank check out of a house he was working on and buying a record player with the blank the check. He's fined. He's let go from Old Acres Mill for stealing money. He worked emptying septic tanks and then as a delivery driver for a bakery. And at this bakery shop is where he would meet his future wife and co-killer, Rose West. So let's talk about Rose now. Now, Rose West was born Rosemary Pauline Lett on November 29, 1953, in Northam, Devon, England, into a home full of just struggle. Her father, William, also Bill Letts, and Daisy Gwendolyn Letts both had mental health issues. Her father was schizophrenic, but he hid it. And her mother was clinically depressed. In fact, while Rose was inside of her she was given electroshock therapy and i had to look into this because it sounds real dangerous to me <laughs> yeah but apparently this is considered the safer way to treat a pregnant woman with serious depression since many medications have side effects that can harm the fetus huh. like i was looking at like johns hopkins like uh <laughs> articles on this Apparently, there's been a lot of research into it, and there's a low chance that it'll hurt the child, like 0.4%, less than 1%. Mm. Regardless, though, Rose was a weird kid, and even when she was a baby, she did some weird stuff that made her family look at her kind of odd. Like, even when she was, like, little and in, like, a stroller pram, she would rock back and forth really aggressively, and it would slowly move across the room. They, they learned that this was a tick of hers that she maintained as she grew up. Uh... She was a total, like, I hate to use this word, but airhead. Like, she just had her heads in the clouds. Her neighbors said that sometimes she would walk down to, like, the 
the fence in front of the house mm. and she would just be staring at the sky just had like completely in her own world in fact her siblings started calling her dozy rosie because of this and she would like sway in a way that made like it was weird she like fred not a good student mostly failing marks from the beginning of school she was moody broody and again she just daydreamed instead of doing her classwork she was number five of seven children and they were very poor but worse than being poor was that Bill Letts was a whole monster. He was cruel. He gave out beatings for the simplest of stuff. And they were brutal to the point where Daisy would step in and he'd beat Daisy instead. Oh, my God. It wasn't uncommon for Daisy to just be seen walking around town with a black eye. And in fact, one day there was a fight that was so bad that the neighbors heard. The neighbors heard it first and then saw as Bill dragged her down the steps by her hair and, like, slapped her outside. Oh, no. In fact, they called the police on that one. Good. Now, when Daisy wouldn't let him hit the children, she was like, no, give them a different punishment. He would just have them go out into the garden and dig. And he would just be like, just dig. Dig until I'm not mad anymore. And then, if he didn't like how they were digging, he'd have them redo it. So, so now what days what did you say? I was about to say, so fill in that hole and then dig that back up. Yeah, pretty much. Oh god. I'm like, that's the kind of stuff that they give like prisoners. Mm-hmm. Now, what Daisy didn't know was that Bill was sexually abusing all of the daughters. And at some point, Rose realized that she could manipulate her father by using his deviance to her advantage. This allowed her to avoid the more horrible beatings. And since she seemed more receptive to his advances, he began to prefer her to the other girls. Fucking gross. Yeah. On top of Bill's constant beatings, he was a total tyrant, demanded absolute obedience and no deviation from it would do. The children had to do their joys perfectly, be perfectly behaved. They spent their time in the Let's house just sitting in absolute silence, watching for Bill's moods to change. Despite their best, he'd find a reason to smack somebody into a wall or throw one down the steps. Daisy definitely believed that Bill got joy from hurting them. Uh, now it's believed that some of these tantrums were be related to his unmedicated schizophrenia because he had never told anyone in his new family about his illness. Daisy didn't even learn about it until he died. Um, but on top of his mental illness, he was hiding and generally just being a terrible person. He couldn't keep a job and that pissed him off. And the couple just kept getting pregnant. And I'm like, here's the problem though, Bill. You can't be mad. You are actively participating in making your life harder. Yeah, you really are hurt. Either way, the family moves when Rose is 13 into the uh, Bishop Cleave area. And she went to the Cleave school. She also went to the Rose Demerol school. People made fun of her for being stupid. But in Bishop Cleave... Rose became the bully. In fact, at, at, people were just like, Rose is not one to be fucked with. Her bully extended to home and her younger siblings. When Daisy took a job for extra money, Rose was the one who stayed home with the younger kids, forcing them to do her chores and stealing things for her around town. Rose hits puberty and she becomes wildly promiscuous. She also became an abuser herself, touching her little brothers in their beds at night. And she would also walk around them naked Eventually, she didn't find this to be particularly satisfying, so instead she began seeking out partners her own age. 
Bill is like, no, because of course he views his 13-year-old daughter like it's his girlfriend. And he forbids her to go on dates. So Rose just decides she's going to hide it from him. And the easiest way to do that is to date older men who had cars and apartments so they wouldn't be seen. Of course, in some of these situations, Rose ended up getting raped because she was just throwing herself at random older guys. So when Rose was 14, Mary Bashjohn went missing. And despite everybody in town telling young girls, please be safe, Rose continues seeking out older men to have sex with. Finally, in 1969, Daisy's tired of the abuse. She takes Rose out of the home to one of Rose's older sisters, but Rose decides to move back in with Bill. She was 15 years old in 1969. That is the year that she met Fred. God. To say that Fred was an expert at grooming young girls is an understatement. When he saw Rose at a Cheltenham bus station, she was originally disgusted by him. She thought he was homeless. He had hair he hadn't washed, sideburns that went all the way down to his shoulders, cuts all over him. He was just dirty, and he had a country accent. Rose was not interested in this 27-year-old boob. But he came back day after day, sat with her at the bus stop, talked to her, showed her affection, brave her little trinkets, told her she was pretty. When, she, when he asked her out, she told him no. But she did say, you can walk me home from the bus stop. When he figured out where she worked, because he was a bakery delivery driver and she worked at a local bread bakery, he paid a woman to deliver a gift to Rose, saying that the man outside gave this to you. And she came outside and there was Fred and she agreed to go on a date with him. That night when they met at a pub near her house, he gave her a lace dress and a fur coat. Which she was like, this is way too much. But he's like, regardless of what happens with us, you can keep that. That's, that is too much. What the hell? Yeah, he probably stole it. But Fred was the nicest person that Rose had really ever met. Like, nice to her. And he was really happy to learn that Rose was not a virgin. When he made gross sex jokes, she laughed and flirted back. Now, let's not forget that he's still married to Rose. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Now, he told Rose he'd been abandoned by his prostitute wife, which made him sympathetic to Rose. Rose visited the caravan to meet his children, Charmaine and Anna Marie. Fred had found the perfect woman, someone who loved sex and enjoyed taking care of kids. In the past, actually, whenever he didn't have a girlfriend and watch his kids, he ended up taking the kids to Gloucester uh, services and saying, I can't raise two children alone. But he always came back and picked them up. Rose told her mother she found a job cleaning a local widow's house. And so that uh, her mom didn't get suspicious, Fred would pay her a couple shillings every week. And then randomly, she brings him home. Her dad immediately knows what's going on here. He's like, this is the guy who's paying her. This is her boyfriend. He's like, you can't see this old guy. He's 15, like 12 years older than you. And, uh, Telling Rose no had never really worked before. Mm. Fred wasn't going to let go because he finally found someone willing to let him do sadistic sex stuff with. And Rose was like, I don't mind as long as you show me attention. Oh, God. It's believed that Fred got her into escorting and her family found out about it in the summer of 1969. 
They put her in a home for troubled teens, and she was only allowed to see her family or go to work. As soon as she earned enough like capital in the house to have a weekend at home, she went directly to Fred's caravan. <laughs> they were, and while she was there, they were sending these letters back and forth. And this is kind of the moment where we realized that Rose is kind of spearheading their relationship and its pace. When her dad finds out they are still together, he goes to Fred's job, begins screaming at him, saying, I'm going to cut you up into little pieces if you don't leave my daughter alone. Which is real ironic because Fred had already done that to somebody else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. <laughs> now Fred's having trouble paying off his fines. He gets arrested again, but this time they put him in prison. And on November 28, 69, they take the kids. Social services takes the kid again. However, the next day was Rose's 16th birthday, and the house couldn't hold her after 16. So her dad was pretty much like, listen, if you ever see Fred again, I'm going to disown you. But if you find a good job and dump him, you can come to our house. That caused a fight that was big enough that the cops were called and social services were called. Oh, my God. The police calmed it down, and Bill thought that they had talked some sense into Rose. Nope. In fact, what Rose did was she was like, fine, I'll stay here. (laughs) And then right before his 30-day lockup was over... She walked downstairs with all of her stuff packed up. They go back to being together. Now that's November, right? So they stay together for like a month over Christmas time. But Bill decides he's going to call the police in January of 1970 and tell them that his daughter is in danger. (laughs) I don't know if the police didn't take this very seriously. But on February 21st, they bring in Rose and they're just like, are you in danger? Holy crap, you're pregnant. Because <laughs> I think they were like not taking it very seriously. I mean, this girl had been seeing this guy at this point now for like years. And that's why they were just like, eh, we'll get to it when we get to it, you know. But they're like, uh, you're pregnant and you're underage. Who's the dad? And she's like, not telling Social services tries to talk to her. They uh, actually pick her up and they hold her like at a foster home for a couple weeks. Uh, They release her on March 6th. And they're like, go back to your family. She agreed she'd get an abortion. That did not happen. Rose went back to Fred's and Bill was like, you know what? I'm done with this. Screw you, Rose. This started the happy family. Rose, Fred, Charmaine, Anna Marie, and Mystery Baby. Oh my god. They moved to a new caravan uh, community that's closer to Fred's job as a day laborer. He'd gone back to working. Rose didn't ask anyone for help, but she was finding it very hard to handle two kids and be very pregnant. Fred instead sent the girls back to the foster family. Rena came back to town, meeting Fred's 16-year-old pregnant girlfriend. However, when she talked to Rose, Rana thought that Rose seemed to be safe for her kids to be around. Why? What gave her that impression? <laughs> I think at this point, Rose just kind of came off as kind of a little touched. Uh, and, okay, yes, yes. Uh, she just seemed kind of simple and not, like, malicious. Mm. Uh, she would go on to be much worse, but... At 
this moment, she's not doing anything really bad. So in June of 1970, they move into a small house in Gloucester on Midland Road. Fred's regular job didn't pay the bills, so he went back to a life of crime. And on October 17, 1970, Heather West was born. And right after that, Fred got busted for fraud when he made a false order for tires. His 30-day stint had actually been a suspended sentence. So this time he was going back to jail to finish his six months. 17-year-old Rose spent Christmas and New Year's alone with three children. Which is when she started beating them to keep them in line. Mm. Uh, Anna Marie actually remembers being like five or six years old. And Charmaine telling her, our real mommy's going to come back for us. But Anna Marie had had such a crazy life, she barely remembered who Rena was. I mean, these were pretty bad. Stuff like if she got mad that they weren't like getting done eating fast enough, she grabbed a bowl and hit them with it, like breaking a glass bowl over a child's head. And Charmaine was apparently a very strong little girl who told Anna, no matter what, don't cry. Crying means rose wings. Hmm. Yeah. In fact, on March 29th, 1971, Rose took Charmaine to the hospital because of a strange puncture wound on her leg. She said it was an accident. And since the small town didn't have a social services, because remember they had moved, no one reported it. But that was probably the first time that Rose had gone too far. Now, Rose and Fred wrote letters back and forth over the six-month period, and they talked about they talked to each other like they were married. Rose complained a lot about Charmaine in those letters. Just before Fred was to be released from prison, Rose killed Charmaine. This happened between June 15th when she brought the girls to visit him and when he was released on June 24th of 1971. One day, uh, Anna Marie went to school and Charmaine didn't go with her. And then she was just gone. Their neighbors even came to visit because they had a daughter at the same age. And Rose just said she's gone to live with her mother and bloody good riddance. Rose stored her body in the pole cellar of their home. And when Fred got out of jail, he buried her at the back door of the building. She also wasn't found until 1994. Um, her remains were missing patella, fingers, wrist bones, toes, and ankle bones. Which you're going to, this is consistent. All of the bodies that we're going to talk about fairly soon are all missing these parts. And they've never found them. And Fred never explained why he kept them. Hmm. It's weird. Okay. Yeah. Now, Rena came back to see her children in August of 1971. And she stopped at Fred's parents' house to ask where he would be. It's believed that Rena confronted Red at the house on Midland and was like, where's Charmaine? So he agreed to take her to her foster parents' house, but instead strangled her to death in his car. Her remains were found dismembered a mile from Fred's childhood home. And because of the two being found with the remains, they think that she was tied up and potentially was assaulted before her death. No one even looked for Rena or reported her missing because people in Scotland just assumed that she had moved back in with Fred and people in England assumed that she had gone back to Scotland. After the summer of murder, Fred and Rose were kind of bonded together. Fred promised he would keep her secret, and she said she would keep his. But the stress and guilt kind of ate at Rose. And one day, she picked up Heather and went back to her dad 
Emma's just like, I need somewhere to stay. And her dad's like, you made your choice. I washed my hands of you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Fred actually showed up at the house to pick her up. And Rose pointed at him and said, you don't know him. There's nothing he wouldn't do, even murder. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't murder. I'm pretty sure I know that part. (laughs) Her parents turned their heads and Fred took her home. She had been honest with them and it didn't matter. Her parents were like, she's being dramatic. Rose looked at this as Bill and Daisy failing her again. Mm. Now, with Retta gone and a partner in crime, Fred can marry Rose. And they did. January 29th, 1972. Just at the registrar's office and no one came. Just John to be a witness to his brother's second wedding. A few months later, the family and a now pregnant Rose moved to Cromwell Street. They stayed there for a pretty long time. It was rented from the town council until Fred was able to buy it for about £7,000, which is a little under $10,000, which is not a lot for a three-bedroom home. But I'm going to tell you, sorry, not three-bedroom, three-story home. In today's money, that would have been £102,000 and $138,000, which to be fair is a steal. Yeah. (laughs) A three-story house for only $138,000? It's incredible. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. UK folks, is your real estate doing better than the US? Because we are <laughs> dying over here. Now, to pay for the house, he actually converted the top two floors into like uh, what we would call like a rooming house. And he added a kitchen and a wash bin on the first floor so that he and his family didn't have to share with the strangers upstairs. With June of 72 comes the birth of May June West on June 1st. Rose begins escorting again right afterward to help pay for the house. Apparently on top of sex work, Rose would also bed many of the people who rented from them. She was pretty much insatiable and Fred was cool with it as long as he could watch. In fact, she had a room that they called Rose's room on the second floor. And he drilled holes in the other room to watch her. While she had sex with customers. Mm. Hmm. And the other factor that's weird here, it's really interesting. This was good for Rose because she was actually getting the sex she wanted. Um, Because even though Fred was into some real gross stuff, um, Rose said that he refused cunnilingus and he was creeped out by her period. And she thought that was odd because he was not creeped out by feces. Regardless, this is how the two had remained happily married. Both of them banging everybody they could in Gloucester, Fred getting his jollies, watching through that people. Also, he was real into the fact that her clients were Jamaican and Indian, which was wild because he didn't like his first wife's mixed race child. Strangely racist. Yes. And weird. Yes. <laughs> Regardless. No, no, I told he's de- it's definitely racist. Um, since Rose was bringing in the big bucks, she was controlling all the money, and Fred even gave her all of his money to make sure things were paid. September of 1972, Anna Marie West, at eight years old, this is pretty rough. There's no way to explain this and not tell you that this is probably one of the worst explanations, and the reason why we have such a good explanation of this is because Anna Marie is still alive. She said that Rose and Fred led her into the cellar, stripped her, bound and gagged her. Fred raped her. Afterward, Rose followed her to the bathroom and laughed at her and told her, I'm sorry, everybody does it to every girl. It's a father's job. 
don't worry and don't say anything to anybody. The fuck? This goes on for the next five years. When she's 13, they force her to work as a prostitute out of a home. She she had to lie until the client. She was 16. Rose would actually wait in the room during the appointments. This went on until Anna was 16 and ran away from home. So May was also uh, sexually assaulted. She has written about her time in the West Home. and She calls it a house of horrors. She mentions that she was raped by her Uncle John at five. Yeah, that brother. Mm-hmm. And then later on by Friday, she got older. May also left the house at 16. All of the West girls were raped by their parents. Uh, so was the older brother, Stephen. That started when he was 13 years old. The only children who seemed to be absolved of this were three kids that Rose had out of wedlock with clients. And I don't know if Fred just wasn't interested in them because they weren't his daughters. One of the girls, her name was Tara, actually feels that way. Um, She's talked about that in the press and said that the reason why I wasn't sexually assaulted is because Fred only wanted to rape his kids. Which is so fucking weird. Fucking wild, right? Yes. Um, And the worst part about this is the children weren't removed from their care until their youngest, one of the youngest girls, Louise, was 13. And she told someone she was being raped. For reference, Louise was born in 1978, which means the West children lived like this until 1991. And I don't think they were removed until 92. So, and it wouldn't be 90, it wasn't until 1994 when the family was fingered for the 12 murders. But we're going to talk about those 12 murders because right about now, the West have only killed four people. Mm. So back in our timeline, October of 1972, the family hired Caroline Owens as a nanny. Caroline is referred to as the one who survived. Now, she lived in the house for a couple nights, and the promise was that they would take her back to her parents' house on Tuesday so she could be with her family. Rose told her that she worked as a masseuse in a room in the upstairs, and apparently Fred told her he was a real good abortionist and that, uh, you know, just in case you ever need my services, which Caroline thought was very odd. Caroline said that the weirdness with them started with Fred talking about sex nonstop kind of as a way to see if she was into things. The thing is, what worked on Rose did not work on Caroline. And in fact, she was just like, listen, at the end of the month, I'm leaving. I, you already paid me for the first part of the month, you know, for this for the month. So when the time you paid me for is over, I'm going. What happened next was that the couple decided they were going to abduct her on the highway leaving their home. But in actuality, what happened was that on December 6, 1972, they put on the waterworks. They apologized. We're so sorry we made you feel uncomfortable. We'll even take you back home to your parents. Caroline thought this was sincere. She packed up her stuff, put it in her car. Immediately as they drove away, Rose started like touching her. When Caroline tried to get away, Fred knocked her out. They bound and gagged her, took her into the cellar. The two repeatedly assaulted her and beat her. When she was screamed, she was almost strangled to death. So she realized she needed to be compliant. Then she tried to scream when neither of them were there. 
Uh, but Fred was in the house and one of the kids was there. And Fred told her that if she didn't shut up, he would let some of his black friends have their way with her and bury her with the 100 other young girls under the streets of Gloucester. What the fuck? Brittany. I just love the the casual racism that just got thrown in there. Yeah, I don't... Bro, do you even have any black friends? I doubt it. I doubt it. Oh, God. Oh, this is terrible. That went on for days. And then they calmly asked her, will you be our nanny again? Will you kind of well, Caroline sees this as her escape plan. And she's like, no, absolutely, totally. She goes upstairs, starts cleaning the house, vacuuming and stuff. And then she and Rose go to a laundromat to wash the clothes. She takes off running and does the stop until she gets home, tells her mom, mom reports to the police. Rose and Fred go to court for this assault, assault on January 12th, 1973. But Caroline was too scared to face them again. And without the testimony, the defense twisted the story until it seems like she had asked for it and she wanted this couple to I fucking hate that. Like her her. They couldn't hold the West for the assault charge, and so they were able to plead down to indecent assault and causing actual bodily harm. It was a fifty pound fine with no jail time. When Caroline heard the news, she tried to kill herself. Uh, she's doing a lot better now. She also wrote about this experience as a way to kinda release it from her system mm -hmm. just three months after that trial they are back at it again this time having learned from the mistake don't let the girl go kill her their victim was linda go a 19 year old woman who uh, actually she had been visiting one of the men who rented a room upstairs and had had a couple of dalliances with a couple of those guys this was a sign for Fred that Linda might be a you know, game for their sexual perversions. They offer her a job as a nanny. She told her family she was moving into a flat in the city and her parents didn't like it at all. But on April 19th, just two weeks before her 20th birthday, Linda's mom came home to all of Linda's stuff gone and a letter being like, listen, I'll be back around to see you soon. Her parents assumed she just needed some space, but she never came home. Now, Linda was okay with the threesomes which was what they had proposed. Mm -hmm. In reality, they tortured her until she died and buried her under their home in the inspection pit in the garage behind the house. Uh, despite there being more than enough room to bury this body, he cut her into pieces, which has led a lot of people to believe that he got a little uh, thrill from chopping people up. That sounds like it. When Linda's mom began looking for her, the West said, oh, uh, she did watch her kids for a little bit, but she hit one of them and we fired her. Caroline Cooper was the next victim, November 10th, 1973. She went to the movies with her friends and she was last seen getting on a bus at nine. We don't know a lot about Carol, but it's safe to say they more than likely tortured her just like they did the others. She was dismembered, buried in the cellar. When Carol was reported missing, the West weren't even suspects. They were never seen with her. Sometime between December of 1973 and January of 1974, they killed Lucy Partington. Lucy was actually a really affluent girl who was the cousin of an English novelist. She had just finished her secondary education. She was enrolled in Exeter University. She had been traveling home to her family in Cheltenham 
while at home, she went to see a friend on December 27th and she was last seen waiting to catch a bus home. She was reported missing right away, but there was no connection to the West. So while the world was searching for her, she was being tortured for probably weeks. In fact, Fred accidentally cut himself while dismembering her, which is why they had a almost picture of what kind of knife would have been used for it. So that when her remains were found two decades later, they were able to compare. And it was the same knife used to chop up all the bodies. April of 74 brings our next victim, 21-year-old Teresa Sickenthaler, a well-off, educated lady from Switzerland. Teresa was a bit rebellious, and instead of going to secondary school, she had told her parents she was going to go to secretarial school. And then uh, she was attending the Woolwich College of Further Education in London. Just before Easter in 74, she decided to hitchhike to Ireland. When she failed to return home before classes, she was reported missing on April 26, 1974. In November of 1974, they kidnapped Shirley Hubbard. Shirley was 15. She worked at a grocery store in Worcester. Uh, November 14th. Yes, we're only laughing because this is one of the ones that I looked up and still struggled with saying. It's Worcester. On November 14th, she left her job to head home. She was never heard from again. Her remains weren't found until 20 years later. And what they did find in 94 was that Shirley was a marked sign of an increase in the couple's torture. Her head was covered in like duct tape and they had inserted plastic tubes into her nose to breathe. Oh God. They were now doing like forced BDSM. Now things slowed down as far as the assaults go in April of 1975. The next murder was kind of important because Juanita Mott ended their string of stranger pickups. And this seems kind of stupid because they were moving from this person doesn't know us to this person knows us. But the people who often needed a room in the West House were usually people on the run, running from home, estranged from family, and that made them good victims because nobody was looking for them. And now they didn't have to risk going out on the highway or the bus stops to pick someone up because their victims were staying at their house. Uh, Juanita was the daughter of an American service family, which I'm assuming is military. She was a rebellious teen, had dropped out of school at 15, run away from home. She lived with another runaway, but left on April 11th, 1975, and she said she'd be back the next day. When she didn't come back, her friend actually contacted her parents, and they filed a missing persons report. She stopped by the West to rent a room. They took her to the cellar, where she'd been tied up without her consent. Uh, they actually found on her remains a mess of very complicated knots all over her, and she had been gagged. She was the last to be buried under the cellar. After this, Fred re-cemented the entire cellar, turned it into a basement bedroom for one of the children, and the two stopped killing, all through 76 and 77. <laughs> Rose had her business, seeing clients, running pretty much a tiny brothel out of one of the upstairs bedrooms. Uh, according to Rose, her father, Bill, even showed up to be a client, as did the Gloucester police, which, of course, they have denied. Mm -hmm. Rose gave birth to a mixed-race daughter, Tara, at the end of 1977. The rest of the kids kept the house clean, 
and were assaulted by their parents as part of their daily lives. Uh, I think during this time, the reason why they didn't have any kills was that Fred was revamping the upstairs rooms. Because right after the remodeling was done, they went back to murder. Shirley Robinson was their next victim in April of 1978. She was a prostitute and teen runaway who needed a place to stay. She agreed to work in Rose's little brothel to live there, which she did for months. And when the West approached her for sex, she didn't say no, and she got pregnant. We aren't really sure why they decided to suddenly kill her. Maybe they got tired of the fact that Shirley consented. Some people think it was because Rose was jealous that Fred liked her. As usual, Fred dismembered her, and since the basement was paved over now, she was buried in their backyard. Their daughter Louise, born November 1978, and Rose's father also dies 17, May of 79 from a lung infection. Their next victim was Allison Jane Chambers. She was a young girl. She was working at the youth training scheme for city solicitors and was in a home for troubled girls. Brian, for you, a solicitor is kind of like a lawyer. Mm. But this one worked for the city. Allison was last seen on August 1979. She'd been doing well at the home, but it wasn't uncommon for girls to run away, so they didn't really look for her. They just told her parents. The West had actually offered her freedom. One of Allison's friends would tell the police that the West kind of offered them the chance to be a part of the family. And then after a few weeks, things would get creepy. Fred would become overtly sexual. He'd talk about his kinks to see if you were into it. Allison's friend was like, I can see the writing on the walls here. They're going to ask me to have sex to stay with them. I'm going to leave. Okay, I'm going to head out. <laughs> yeah, well, Allison didn't leave and she became another victim. She would later be found in their backyard. Eight years pass. Rose gives birth to three more times, two more biracial children, and one final one to Fred, making the total of kids in this house Heather Ann, May June, Stephen, Tara, Barry, Louise, Rosemary, and Luciana. Yes, she did name one of her daughters after herself. Yeah, of course. <sighs> like I said before, Fred did not rape the children who were not his biological kids. And the thing is, even though this was happening to all of them, they were in survival mode, and they didn't speak up because they were scared that they would be next. Fred's oldest child and half-daughter to Ro uh, you know, stepdaughter to Rose... Anna Marie got it worse. In 1979, she got pregnant. It was ectopic, so it had to be terminated. That would have most definitely been from Fred, as she was only 15. The hospital was like, uh, who's his dad? She would not answer. And in fact, after that, she moved out in December of 1979 with, like, the first boyfriend she could find. Hmm. Her parents didn't seem to care. They still had Heather and May to molest. And Stephen, who was being sexually assaulted by Rose. They, Rose continued to beat them, pretty much becoming her father. There would be 31 hospital visits over the next eight years. Heather had never really been a willing participant. Some of the kids, they'd buy like ice cream for or candy for little ones to be quiet. But she would fight Fred. And he actually 
called her a lesbian because she fought him when he tried to rape her. They beat her to try and break her. She never made it easy for him. Like, no, it's, I just don't want to be touched by you or raped, you motherfucker. There was this fighting spirit that probably got her killed. Fred originally admitted to killing his daughter, but later blamed it on Rose. The ch- neighbors do remember Rose and Heather having a pretty horrible fight. Heather had actually told a friend about her father's abuse, and the girl had told her parents, but those parents were friends with the West and didn't believe it. Some people think she was killed because she told, which means she, you know, she broke the, the family loyalty. Others because she fought back. But either way, in June of 1987, she was dismembered and put in the backyard. And then Fred built a patio on top of it and told the other kids Heather ran away with a lesbian lover. But then eventually they told the kids one time Fred was like making a joke and he was like, listen, behave or you'll end up under the patio like Heather. Mm. After that, they stopped killing as far as we know. As I mentioned, Louise would be the child who'd bring attention to their family in 1991-92. It started in May of 91. Louise was 13. Fred asked her to bring something to him on the first floor, and he attacked her while Rose wasn't home. Her siblings heard her scream. They found her on the floor sobbing. He had raped her, sodomized her, and almost strangled her to death. When she told her mom, Rose was just like, you were asking for it. And over the next few weeks, it happened three more times. And Rose even witnessed one of the attacks. So August, Louise told a friend what happened. And on August 4th, that friend's mom told the police anonymously. The police did a routine search and they found like well over a hundred like stacks of porn. They found tapes of what went on in Rose's room. They charged Fred with rape and sodomy of a minor. Rose was charged with assisting and abuse of a minor. All five younger children were taken into custody. The detective on this case, Hazel Savage, knew Fred from his early years of thievery. The first thing Hazel realized was that Rena and Charmaine West weren't just gone from Fred's life, but they weren't anywhere in any English records. Uh, When Anna Marie learned that her dad was denying all the charges, uh, she sought out Hazel and Hazel took down this interview about all of the abuse that Anna Marie had been enduring since she was eight years old. Hazel also became suspicious about Heather when she went through all of the family videos and didn't see anything for Heather past 1987. Hmm. Weird. Interesting. Right. Unfortunately, the, the rape case falls apart when Anna Marie and Louise don't want to testify, even though they had already given sworn test statements to the police. Because it's it's really terrible, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. To make someone who went through horrible things now recount them again in front of a room full of people. But the West get acquitted in June of 1993. Anna Marie begs Detective Savage to keep looking for Rena and Charmaine. The county, however, did not hand the kids back. Sorry, not it's not county, but you know, it's equivalent. So the West were only allowed supervised visits with the children. Now, as they look into Rena and Charmaine and Heather, it's apparent that they are dead, but they need proof. Several of the younger children had reported the phrase, you'll end up like Heather under the porch, that threat. Mm. And they were able to use that to get a warrant. 
to check the backyard. And uh, when the police arrived on February 24th with the warrant, Rose was kind of flippant and arrogant until she read it. And then they said she went pale. <laughs> As the police dug up the backyard and questioned her, she was like, I can't fucking remember. It's a bloody long time ago. Who do you think I am? A computer? Their son, Stephen, called Fred, and Fred was like, I'll be home from my job in Stroud as soon as I can. When he got there three hours later, he was spouting this bizarre story about Heather, who was involved with the drug cartels, and the patio thing was just a joke. The police did not take this seriously. And when they didn't take it seriously, Fred actually showed up and reported the police who were in his yard, saying that they were harassing him because of the prior year case. Yeah, he was like, y'all are just harassing me because you couldn't get me on the rape case from last year. No, we're, we're harassing you because someone said something about a body in your backyard, sir. Yeah, day one of digging, they haven't found Feather, but the police are allowed to excavate the entire backyard. They leave an armed guard at the site and go home. The following morning, Fred tells Stephen, look after your mom and sell the house. I've done something really bad. I want you to go to the papers and make as much money as you can. Steven totally doesn't understand this. When the police arrive to dig again, Fred's just like, listen, I killed my daughter. Let's get this over with. He told the police they had a fight. He strangled her in a fit of rage. It was totally an accident. Manslaughter. He's like, I cut her up so it'd be easier to bury her. Then he asked for an attorney. At this point on, there would go on to be hours of bizarre testimony from Thad. It is still on video and it is super weird. With him talking about stuff like the sound it made when he cut up different parts of Heather's body. But they were like, all right, if you did it, show us where the body is. So he goes back home. He points it out on February 25th. I don't know why Fred confessed. I wonder if he thought that if he confessed they would stop. Like, But the police were like, no. Well, see, okay. Uh, just to go backwards a little bit. Um, So, mm -hmm. like, with him, like, first confessing to say, oh, yeah, I, I, I strangled her in, like, a fit of rage. And then talking about cutting up her body and how it sounded. I'm like, that's not... Very inconsistent. Yeah, like, sir, that sounds like you enjoyed it. Yeah, there's also hours of him talking about his dad and bestiality and stuff in these tapes. Like, he was just going mm, regardless to to. <laughs> after that day of testimony on the 25th the 26th they continue the dig uh it took really long because it was very rainy in the uk that year and they weren't really digging they were sifting through mud mm. at 1 p.m on february 26th ted recants his testimony He's like, Heather's in Bahrain working for a drug cartel. At 4 p.m. they find a femur. It was nowhere where Fred had told them, though. And Fred said that only Heather was in the backyard. So they brought the bone to a pathologist, Bernard Knight. And Knight went to the dick site and he was able to recover a full set of remains, which now means they have three femurs. Bernard is a, <laughs> a quoted as saying, either this woman had three legs or we're looking at more than one body. Oh my God. Fred admits to Shirley Robinson, describes her in detail. They're like, is there anyone else? He says, yeah. 
Both Fred and Rose are charged with killing their daughter. They found three bodies so far. March 4th, through his attorney, Fred sends a note to the superintendent that says, I, Frederick West, authorize my solicitor, Howard Ogden, to advise Superintendent Bennett that I wish to admit a further nine killings, especially Charmaine, Renna, Linda Goh, and others to be identified, Fred West. And upon questioning, he told them where everyone was buried. The police found all six in the basement the following week, and the knife he used to chop them up with, too. Now, Fred tried to say his wife had nothing to do with it, but they were leaning on Rose because she was tied to assaults of two children in the 70s. They refused her bail, moved her to a maximum security prison, began interrogating her about Fred's murder. On April 25th, she's charged with Linda Gold's murder. On May 6th, both Fred and Rose are charged with five counts of murder. Then June 30th, 1994, Fred is charged with 12 murders and Rose nine. Both denied bail. Over and over, Fred tries to like touch his wife at the sentencing, mm -hmm. or not sentencing, at the charges. And every time he reaches for her, she pulls away from him. Fred's deeply depressed. They actually kept him on suicide watch for 11 months. And that suicide watch was someone checking in on him every 15 minutes, 24 hours a day. Damn. They finally relaxed the suicide watch. Never do and that. <laughs> nope. January 1st, 1995, Fred West hangs himself in a cell with blankets he stole from the laundry room. <sighs> the suicide note was next to a drawing of a gravestone in his cell, and it said, In loving memory, Fred West. Rose West, rest in peace where no shadow falls. In perfect peace, he waits for Rose, his wife. Now, with Fred, the only witness to her murder is dead, Rose pleads not guilty. Her trial starts October 3rd, 1995, and it doesn't go too well for her. The prosecutor, Brian Levinson, lays into her. He describes her as an active partner in the sadism and depraved acts on Cromwell Street. He points out that Fred was in jail when Charmaine died, meaning you're the only one who could have done it. And then that the two had learned not to set, let their sex slaves live after Caroline Owens. I like this Brian guy. He's smart. <laughs> he spells it like you too. He good. He brought out everybody who had contact with Rose, her mother, sister, boarders at the house, victims, relatives, all surviving rape victims. Some of the girls were unnamed in court documents, but they were really important because these girls testified that Rose was the aggressor during the rapes. Mm -hmm. Now, Rosemary's lawyer tries to get Caroline's testimony told it, like thrown out because she had told her story for 20,000 pounds. But Caroline was like, listen, I want, it, I want justice for the girls who didn't make it. I feel like it was my fault. I didn't do enough. Defense is like, you don't have any real evidence on Rose. And Fred was a killer before he even met Rose. Against her lawyer's wishes, Rose testifies in her defense. She cried on stand, talking about how she'd been raped and abused in a child, and she'd married a man who was deviant and violent and controlling. She straight up lied on stand when she was shown pictures of the victims. She said that Fred and her were living separate lives, which didn't match the testimony of all of the hundreds of boarders who had lived there over 20 years, who were like, they were a real tight-knit family. They slept in the same bedroom. Mm, mm, mm. Defense also brought out a lot of women who'd been attacked and assaulted by a man who looked a lot like Frank West between 1966 and 1975. That was proof to try to prove to the court that Fred had worked alone. After seven weeks, both sides closed their arguments. On November 21st and 22nd, the jury came back unanimous, guilty and on all charges. 
Rose was given life in prison with no parole. To this day, she says that she is innocent. Fred was ultimately cremated. Four of his kids attended his funeral. The service was five minutes long. The reverend quoted Psalms and was like, yeah, let's not forget the victims here. And then dipped. <laughs> like, I love, like, like, the reverend was like, I got to do this. Like, so yeah, I guess we're going to do it. Yeah. Like it's part of my, I guess I have, like it's part of my job. I have to do this. So whatever. No music, no nothing. Good. You don't do that shit. They ended up, eventually they spread his ashes at Barry Island, which was a place he used to go as a kid. Uh, the four youngest West children were given new identities. They do not seek out any public recognition. Anna Marie West had her mother and sister cremated and buried in the same grave. Uh, Detective Hazel Savage received loads of commendations for her work, and she continued to do her job for many more years. John West, Fred's brother, put on trial for his crimes against Anna. He hung himself in November of 1996. A coward just like his brother. I was going to say, it, it's funny how they can do this stuff and then, like, they don't, like, face their fucking consequences. It's so stupid. Nope. I've always said that. Anybody who's willing to hurt a child is a coward. Mm-hmm. House on Cromwell Street demolished. Um, they made that decision in 96. At first they bricked it up, but ultimately they destroyed it to deter souvenir hunters. Of course, because... Barry West died of a drug overdose in 2020. He struggled with drugs due to abuse he suffered from his parents. Stephen actually got in trouble for dating a 14-year-old in the early 2000s, and he actually tried to kill himself after that. He seems to be on the straight and narrow now. Uh, Rose's kids originally visited her, but when May asked about the murders, Rose told her, I was never a parent then and could never be now only person who visited her who visits her now is anna strangely enough hmm. rose has tried multiple times to appeal every appeal has been rejected the most recent uh statement she released in 2001 saying that she has stopped appealing and uh like i said these days apparently she fell in love with meyer henley and now the two are enemies <laughs> but she is very much still alive only about 68 years old Oh, so she has a long... She has a long time left. (laughs) Which is, you know, for once, (laughs) we get some... I like it. I like it. I like the ending. Well, I don't like that he got off easy by fucking hanging himself, but, you know, whatever. So there's some type of justice served here, which I like. There you go. <clears throat> story of pretty much the worst couples in our American couples they pretty much were doing it for money and just murdering strangers Yeah, I'm sure there's probably a couple like the West but yeah we have like two around the same time with the Moores murders and Fred and Rosemary West very intriguing but that just like we kind of had our I call it the serial killer shuffle in America Mm. <laughs> they kind of had this weird thing with doctors and married couples. Hmm. It's just interesting. It is interesting. And you wonder why, you know, it, it's intriguing. Yeah. <laughs> well, what do we have coming from the paranormal world, Brian? 
Okay. Well, like you mentioned earlier, we are only, well, when you guys listen to this, we're only a couple days away from Valentine's Day. Um, <laughs> yay, Valentine's Day. Yay. It's fun. <laughs> I like to buy presents for people. I mean... It's... And they buy presents for me. See? Yay. Okay, yeah, okay, that's nice. Now, I thought, you know, what better to talk about than, you know, doing weird stuff with ghosts? <gasps> Did you ever look at the um, Fright Club? No. One of the episodes, they definitely have what looks like, you know how they use that camera that makes the bodies look like how you looked on a Connect. The Xbox Connect. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Right. Well, the ghost hunters were using the camera like that, and they definitely see two bodies in a bed on top of each other. And they were like, are we watching ghosts have sex? <laughs> 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 it was a really good episode on Fight Club. Look here. This is like... Is that, is that what we're talking about? Or are we talking about people having sex with ghosts? We're talking about... Well, I don't... I wouldn't... Yes. Yes, we are. We're talking about uh, the living and ghosts and getting it on. Oh, okay. Not just ghosties getting it on. No. All right, I, mean, I got you. I don't even, even think about looking at ghosts having sex with ghosts and just like they're... Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that's all good. That's another... Oh, my God. Okay, anyway. <laughs> another little side tangent we can go on. Oh. But now, like, I... Here. Both yes like i i last year i kind of touched on this subject um there was like a story about i guess a minister or something he was at a rectory and like he had this ghostly woman pass through him and it felt like orgasmic to him um but like this time i'm going i'm going we're going we're going we're getting into it okay <laughs> um so, sex with ghosts, or more commonly known as uh, spectrophilia, which is um, also known as sexual attraction to ghosts, or... Oh, I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, yeah. Or um, arousal from images and mirrors. Oh. Yeah. So, like, mm. like I don't know, someone with, with I guess, spectrophilia, spectrophilia, they're looking like... Bloody Mary looking kind of fine today. <laughs> or Candyman, what the hook do? <laughs> oh, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary. All right, let's do this. Oh, my God. Beetlejuice. Oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> uh, spectrophilia. I can't, like, it's, it's classified as both being a fetish and a phenomenon. That happens. That's peculiar. We don't consider the uh, the one where people are attracted to serial killers to be a fetish. No, but it should be some type of fetish. <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, not a good fetish, but like a bad fetish. Like, um, oh, are we kink shaming? <laughs> them, yes. <laughs> We're kink shaming hybristophilia. Sorry, y'all. Yeah, sorry, I don't. I don't agree with you. Anyway, it's uh, apparently it's a form of uh, some type of paraphilia. 
so yeah. as I was doing research for this, I I stumbled across a lot of articles with celebrities who have claimed to have sex with ghosts. <gasps> what? There are a lot of apparently there are a lot of celebrities that like have had sex with ghosts. I am so invested in this now. Okay, awesome. Because I got I got a list of it, and, and, and here we go. Okay, so I, I like I have to like I do have to like say this um, that spectrophilia or like having sex with ghosts is not the same as like a succubus or incubus, as in you know, because those are demons. They are demons, and they are here to steal your soul through your life essence that they extract from your and make you give birth to a demon. There you go. Um, and we talking about ghosts here today. Okay. So, did you know? So, okay, before I even get to this list, a lot of these people that actually have sex with ghosts, they, they all describe it as the same. Um, not not everybody, because some sometimes it's not consensual, and it's, it's, it's an unpleasant feeling for them. Um... Like, just being touched and just, like, they, they're just like, uh, I don't like this. I don't like this. But um, for other people is who actually, like, give into this, they're like, yeah, I just felt like a body on top of mine. It just, like, oh, I felt the pressure of another body on me. And then just the feeling of it happening. And it just felt wonderful. And I was just like, I was reading this. And I was like, "What the fuck? Am I missing out by not it, <laughs> by not going after ghosts now?" Um, but are we dating? <laughs> are we dating ghosts? Am I, am I have to like. <laughs> I feel like I feel like the picture of the the one character, you know, the butterfly. Uh. <laughs> it's just like. Are we in a relationship now? Oh my god. <laughs> uh, so the first celebrity that I have who really surprised me by just like seeing her name pop up is freaking Kesha. What? No way. Kesha says that she was intimate with a ghost. And what? that Maybe her song Supernatural was about said relation with the ghost. Doing the nasty with the ghost. Yeah. um, She said she enjoyed it. (laughs) So she made a song about it. I never even... That's not even a song I've listened to. What album is that on? Um, God, I don't know, but it's it's in my... um, it's of course in my playlist because I have all Kesha's songs. I don't know why I don't know this song. Supernatural. I think it's like in one of her newer. Oh, albums. it's from the no. It's it looks like from the Warrior era. Really? Also, like two thousand. Wow. So we're talking like two thousand twelve. Yeah, two thousand twelve, two thousand eleven. I guess I just skipped over that one on the album and listened to the dance songs I liked better. I, I listened to all her songs. I, I love it all. I love her, but like sometimes on certain albums you just like certain songs better, so you listen to those like 20 times. Mm-hmm. That's me. 
<laughs> I find the one song I like really, really like a lot and listen to that one a lot. I do. I just love, I don't know. I just, I just fall back into all That's of okay. That. <laughs> so our girl Kesha. Kesha had, yeah, sex with a ghost. Um, guess who else had sex with a ghost? Who? Lucy Lou. Interesting. Yeah. Apparently, back in 1999, um, so she tells Time, well, US Weekly, my bad, um, that she was, she just like lay down on the couch for a nap and then she just felt this presence on top of her. And she. And then ghost rage. <laughs> I'm just saying, you didn't consent. Hey, it just showed up. And she, what she says, it was, it was sheer bliss. If I felt everything, I climax, and he floated away. All right. So, I guess she wasn't like too too upset about it. Um, Bobby Brown. Bobby Brown says he has... Was he on drugs when he did this? Because <laughs> he has a history. He does have a history. That's all I'm saying. Um, yeah, he says that he, he, he slept with a ghost in, in one of his houses. He said, okay, this is a quote from him. He said, I bought this mansion in Georgia. It was a really... This was a really, really spooky place. But yes, one time I woke up and yeah, a ghost. I was being mounted by a ghost. I would like offer. Oh no! Um, like he, he I guess he he told whoever was interviewing was like, I wasn't high. I wasn't I like I wasn't doing any drugs, nothing like this. And I was just, I I just this this happened to me. Is this is real life, folks? Um, all right, yeah, okay, Bobby, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, like, I'll take your word for it. Like, I don't know why they're telling people about this because it's weird and people probably find it interesting. Um, so Anna Nicole Smith. <laughs> listen i know people don't like her but she was my girl she is like the ultimate like uh i loved her yeah yeah she was really nice i, I did like her show people gave e. her a bad rap and here's the thing if anna had been around in 2022 oh my God. folks would have been telling her that she had got the bag she was the queen people would have they would not have treated her the way they did in the 90s now this is yeah and i think that's messed up all Anna did was be a stripper and meet a nice old man. <laughs> oh god! What's up? Yeah, I did. I, I mean, I didn't. I did like her Boot show, camps? so it's okay. There's one on the back. There's a whole box in front of the TV. Um, but yeah, she said that she, you know, had a thing for ghosts too. And like, this is a quote I'm reading. It says. She said, well, she says, uh, a ghost would crawl up my leg and have intercourse with me at an apartment a long time ago in Texas. I used to think it was... This is before she was, you know, fancy Anna. Yeah. I, I used to think it was my boyfriend. Then one day I woke up and found out it wasn't. 
um, she apparently this happened multiple times to her and she there was just this one time that she actually found out that it like she she looked up and it it, it wasn't her 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 boyfriend at all um she said she was freaked out about it but then but then i was like well you know what he's never hurt me <laughs> and he just gave me some amazing um uh, sex. So, so, right. It's always amazing. I want to go. I want someone on your list who tells us that the ghost did it and it was subpar. <laughs> that is more realistic, Brian. Oh God, I, I don't have any. Um, Mister Mister Dan Aykroyd. Um, now. Now I know whoever has seen whoever seen Ghostbusters know about that scene about him having that dream about having sex with a ghost or that ghost giving him a, a blowjob or whatever. I mean, here's one thing I'll say: Dan Aykroyd is really into the paranormal. Yes, um, he is. That's why he's I into love ghost him. stuff. He, I mean, well, he was doing a documentary on the Men in Black, and then it got shut down after he saw a couple. Um, so, if anybody might be like a like a tuning you know, mm-hmm. like a, a tuning rod for the paranormal, I totally think it's him. Yeah. He's probably reading about this stuff, looking at it, and stuff is just attracted to him. I'm surprised I haven't found a ghost yet then. Damn. <laughs> but uh, Listen, maybe they found you. You just don't have the, 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 the gift. Yeah, I mean, you're just not interested in me. It's okay. I get it. Not everybody's cup of tea. Um, I just want to let you know that if I die before you, I'm definitely gonna show up and like dab. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm gonna dance in your bedroom as a ghost. Please don't. <laughs> if, if if I die and stuff just starts falling down, it's because I tripped. I'm not um, even trying to scare you. I'm in your room and I fell over. <laughs> oh my god. I will be blaming you for everything. I'm like dab, Brittany. Why are you fucking with shit? <laughs> but yeah, he Write says. Write you a letter. Oh God! On my mirror. Yep. Oh In the steam. And I'll be like, I wasn't looking. Just came to say hi. <laughs> oh man. Um. So yeah. Apparently, he didn't. He didn't have sex with a ghost, but he did get cuddled up <laughs> by ghosts. So, you know. I don't know. I'm one of those people who if something like sits down. Like, you know, if something sits down on the bed, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. So I don't know if I would allow it get to get to the sex place. I'd probably hop out of bed and walk away. Yeah. Mm. The second the ghost sits down on the bed and I see the pressure, I'm out. Mm-mm. I'm just like not experience I would want. I'm just like, oh, something's happening. Awesome. That's I mean, hi, hi. Would you like to watch some anime today, ghost? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, ghost. I am a weeb. <laughs> Hopefully, you like what I'm watching. Um, um. Apparently, uh, do you know Coco? Ice T's wife. You mean- Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So apparently there's there's a ghost that I guess she has a ghost stalker because 
It's followed her from place to place. From Albuquerque to Arizona. Wow. Yeah. And like, she's like, during the day, when you think of ghosts, you think of it being dark and foggy and misty outside. But every time I saw or felt anything, it was in the daytime and there was no fog out there. So she's like, this ghost just followed me all around. And I mean, uh, never mind. <laughs> never mind. No, 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 no. It's okay. Um, and she's like, I was I was watching TV like one night and I was sitting on the couch at it was in the morning and I was wearing a, a nightie and I felt my dress move up my leg. I looked down and got freaked out. I pushed it down, watched TV, felt it again, and I could see it being pulled up. And then I felt a guy breathing in my ear. And I was like, Ugh. <laughs> I'm leaving that's now that's one that's a story that they did not fucking they were not into it uh-uh no thank, thank you, you. you're welcome oh my god okay so have you heard about this um some woman married a ghost Have you, heard, have you heard about this? I mean, I heard a lady marry a train station, so nothing surprises me anymore. I've heard about that, too. I was just like, mm, okay. So it might have popped up in one of my lists of weird things people have married kind of situations, and I didn't look too into it. Okay. So. Who's the ghost? Her name is, is it has someone she knows? No. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Okay, so this woman's name, her name is Amanda Teague, um, and this happened, I guess, uh, 2016. Mm-hmm. She married a 300-year-old pirate ghost. Um, his he name... ain't marry her. <laughs> I refuse I to believe that he married her. She thinks they're together, but they're not. But he's like, my my love is for the sea. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's how I see that. Like, okay. she had the ceremony, but that goes, he thinks he's single. Yeah. Um. So his name was Jack Teague. Um. She took his last name. She God. took his last name. Um. So apparently she worked as a Jack Sparrow impersonator in Ireland. Oh. Okay. Um So so as I I was uh, as I was you know looking up like this name Jack Teague and stuff uh a lot of stuff popped up from like Pirates of the Caribbean. So I went I dug a little deep into it and I was like apparently that's Jack's name, Jack Sparrow's name oh. or something like that. Okay. Um, so he's the inspiration or, for the character. So, or that the character is the inspiration for this ghost that she had married. Um, so I'm not sure. Like as I was reading this, I was like, "Is so? Did she just marry like her imagination or something like that? Or is this actually like a real ghost?" Um, but who who's the who's to say? Who's to say, Brittany? Um, 
I'm telling but you, yeah. no pirate is getting married. I know, I know. No pirate's getting fucking married. <laughs> Definitely That's not. my only situation. No pirates getting married. They're like, listen, we can smash, but that's it. <laughs> that's it. I gotta be out on the sea. I gotta I gotta find some other booty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, treasure and a booty. Anyway, um, I know it was a good pun. That's why yeah. I didn't go. Ugh. It was a good one. <laughs> so apparently, she said that the relationship started back in 2015, and she was lying on her bed at home, and she sends the presence of him on top of her. And she said it, it happened like it continued over six months. Um, and she's like she started growing feelings for him, and then I guess the two of them just made plans to, you know, get hitched. Um, but yeah, you can see me right now. I'm just shaking my head. <laughs> she said. That their chemistry was incredible, and that Jack Jack is the best sex I've ever had. Um, Makes sense since it's you by yourself. I, this this is true. This is very true. Now their marriage actually didn't last. Like, so apparently, let me just say say this first. Um, apparently, this was like the first league, first marriage. Okay, so the first time the courts allowed this to happen. Yeah, basically, um, I guess they they found some loopholes, and apparently it wasn't. Um, so it's not legal in the UK or Ireland to marry a deceased person, but they they found okay. lawyers to like get a loophole some some fucking how. Um, oh, okay. they, they they sailed into international waters. That's how. Wow. Yes, they, 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 not only is he a pirate, but they got married on a boat, Brittany. That is at least, you know, cute, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, she says she's the first person in the UK and Ireland to legally marry a ghost. Um, gotcha. Yeah. But yeah, um, like I said, uh, like I, like I hinted to, uh, they, they didn't last long at all. Um, well, I think, let me see. Uh, God damn it, I don't have the date. And when they, they got divorced, okay? After. Did she find a real person to date? I don't think so. I don't think so. Well, he couldn't have initiated the divorce. I don't know. Maybe he did. <laughs> He's like, the, so this, the pirate life's for me, Brittany. <laughs> oh, my God. Too much, too much, sir. As I was reading this, um, so apparently there was supposed to be a, a new dating app that popped up. Um about you too can date a ghost? I, I think so. And it was supposed to be something like Shiver Me Tinders. Nah. Or something. I think that's probably a joke. I don't think that's that's true, but I mean there's no way to make it real. Like you can make an app, but like no one's gonna pay for that. I think you know what would be great if someone made like a video game about dating ghosts. Is that not a thing? Dating ghost simulator? That should be a thing. 
if it's not a dream daddy. I don't know. I mean, you're probably right. We've got dream daddy and dungeon daddy. (laughs) I know there's monster, like, you date a monster. I think there is a ghost. You know what? I I have seen it. I mean, Monster Prom and Monster High School are very sexual. And, well, Monster High School is more sexual than Monster Prom. No, no, it's it's Monster Prom and Summer Camp. The Summer Camp is less sexy. But your goal is to seduce a monster in those games. In a group setting. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I've seen this. I've seen this somewhere. A ghost dating sim. Um, but yeah. Yeah, but in the sim, they would create like personalities and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. But yeah, um, I don't know. Like, spectrophilia, that it pops up like in a lot of places. Like, a lot of places on like TV. Like, like I said, Ghostbusters earlier, or apparently. And Star Trek, the next generation, there was a type of uh, ghost sex thing or attraction. And we can't forget, it's a 1990s movie, uh, Ghost, with, who's that, who's that, Patrick Swayze? Oh, right, right. Yes. But that was different because uh, Whoopi Goldberg's character, the medium, allowed herself to be... um, What's the word? Uh, Conduit? When you let a... Yeah. So technically, Demi Moore was sex and Whoopi Goldberg in that scene. But it felt like her lover who had been murdered. Hmm. It's very peculiar. And I thought it was peculiar when I watched it as a child. And I still think it's weird now. But Whoopi Goldberg did a great job in that movie. I've only seen it once. And that was as a kid. (laughs) Um... Why did we watch it as a child? I have no fucking idea. I think my parents had it on, and it's just like <laughs> the, the sex scene. It's it, the whole. It's weird. I don't like it. Just get you a, a pottery wheel, and then you're good to go. No boy, no. I'm good on that. Oh god. Um. Is so, that all we have for sexy ghosts? Yeah, I think. Uh, who is it? There's a there's a, a ghost adventures and. Travel Channel, they Travel Channel, they have a sh- uh, like a show titled Ghostly Lovers or some shit like that, and they talk about they. T- yes, I would have to look into this. I don't remember Zach Bagans ever talking about that. I don't. I remember says- one time they went to a um, like a brothel, and all the dudes kept getting touched. See, that's all it takes. And they were like. Do they think we're their customers? <laughs> they think you're going to pay them, so yes. <laughs> Bring some, some fucking money. <laughs> oh my god. So I remember that happening, and that does happen sometimes when you go into certain locations. Like some... But I don't know. Yeah. I, but, I, if this is a show where they talk about like stuff like this, I'd be interested in watching it. Yeah, I think it, I think it was just like a, a, like a one-off show or something like that. But yeah, they were just or oh, an, yeah. an episode of it. And yeah, they were talking about it. Look it up. It's called Ghostly Lovers. I, I saw like a YouTube trailer for it. So I mean, it's, it's, it was okay. Um, remember that time I told you about going to that, going to that, going to that ghost hunt 
Mm-hmm. In the you pr- went to that uh, place. Yeah, for the prison. And then some, I guess one of the prisoners really liked uh, women and he liked touching them. Um, yeah. Yeah. And stuff like that happens a lot. And it's just like. Uh, that does happen a lot. You're right. Yeah. But yeah. Um, watch out out there because maybe one day you'll just get like a ghostly touch somewhere. It's not appropriate. It. <laughs> maybe if you're alone, it's Valentine's Day. You really want it to happen. A, a presence will visit you too. Just yeah, just hope. Don't summon it, okay? Because that's a demon. <laughs> yeah, no, don't summon things. But just you know, just wistfully think about it. Yes, because ghosts need love too. Apparently. Oh God, it, they they really don't. They're they're they've lived their life. They're good. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I got this week. <laughs> Well, that's an interesting ending for today's episode. And <laughs> happy Valentine's Day to everybody. And yes. Our, uh, our second fictive will be coming soon. Yes. And you can always support us on Patreon, where I said we have over 20 exclusive only for the patrons. Conspiracy Crypt episodes where we talk about a lot of weird stuff. Some, stra- some funny stuff. Some very odd stuff. We go into everything. Mm-hmm. We really do. We touch everything. <laughs> and we might be trying, we might be creating a movie night feature. People just want to hang with us and, and watch a film. Yeah, it would be cool just to get people to like hang out and watch. But yeah. So I hope you have a great weekend. Yep, me too. Bye-bye.